Welcome back to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I'm Nikkei Fabi with the CPA Education Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. Resilience is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Building resilience during times of adversity can be challenging, but our ability to build resilience can have significant health benefits, including lower rates of depression and greater satisfaction with life. New York Times bestselling author Jane McGonigal discusses four types of resilience, physical, mental, emotional, and social, in her TED Talk, The Game That Can Give You 10 Extra Years of Life. Her thoughts have helped to inspire today's episode. To discuss resilience, joining me today, we have Deepa Mysuria, CPA, CA, and Chartered Business Valuator. Deepa has professional experience in public practice, industry, and as an independent contractor where she reviewed businesses from a valuations perspective. Let's hear Deepa's thoughts on building resilience straight from the CPA's mouth. 150,000 new businesses are created in Canada each year, but only Emotional intelligence is a critical skill for leaders. How do I develop artificial intelligence will take over analytics, big data, trend analysis. that Alberta needs to diversify its economy, but how do we do that? Create new opportunities for young innovators. Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Deepa, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you maybe provide us with a little bit of a background on who you are both professionally and personally for our listeners? Sure. Um, do you want, you've given like a really good high-level overview of my professional career, so I won't reiterate too much. You know, I've done auditing, I've done accounting, I've valued a lot of businesses, I've, uh, I've even sold businesses before. But uh, do you want? Know I would actually say that in terms of my career as a whole, I I'm a lifelong learner. So I I love uh, listening to lots of podcasts, audiobooks, uh, TED talks. Um, actually, when when you had approached me for this particular topic, it uh, it reminded me of uh, another TED talk, which is actually Jane McGonagall's sister named Kelly McGonagall. Um, and the TED talk is called How to Make Stress Your Friend. So for anyone listening, it, it's a great uh, TED talk to also listen to for, for this resilience theme. That's great. Yeah. And then in terms of Personally, uh, I am married to my high school sweetheart for 10 years now, uh-huh. um, and I'm a mother of two kids who are four and 18 months, and yeah, they, they keep life really interesting. I'm sure you've been very busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, of course, we're talking a little bit about um, resiliency today, and I know many of us, just due to COVID-19, have kind of seen a shift in our routine whether it's working from home, some of us might even be like working out at home, limiting the amount of social activities we're participating in. Um, So I wanted to talk about building a routine. So do you have a weekly or daily routine that you've established? And do you have any tips um, for people looking to create more of a routine? I will be the first to say that uh, I I used to have a great routine. You know, at, at nighttime, I used to, you know, prep my lunch. I uh, would pack my bag with like clothes, makeup, whatever. Um, I put my gym clothes right beside my bed. And then in the morning, I'd wake up, put my gym clothes on because they were right beside me. Um, I drive to the LRT while I'm sitting on the train. I'd go through, you know, my affirmations and my goals and I would like visualize. Then I'd, you know, work out 
and then go straight to work right after that, after, you know, getting ready from uh, at the gym. And um, I would get so much done. And now I have kids. <laughs> and that just does not happen. <laughs> you know, like my routine is based on their routine and and not just their routine, but their behavior and their mood. And, you know, not every day is the same. Not to say that we don't have a routine, we do, but I would say it's a very loose routine right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for anyone who's trying to develop a good routine, I think the first thing to think about is that what you're really doing is you're developing a habit. That That's all it is. And, you know, I think researchers have said that um, about 40% of our day are just habits that we're we're doing day after day. And if you think about it, that's that's a lot. That's almost half your day where we're just on autopilot, you know, doing the same things, which is fine unless you have bad habits, then and then it's not so good, right? Um, so if you're if you're trying to develop a, a habit, uh, I, I would say, you know, be really cognizant of what you're trying to do. So first off, you know, think about what you want the routine to be and think about why you want that routine. Because if you can attach an emotional attachment to, you know, the routine or the habit that you want to develop, uh, it will it will keep you motivated to continue and stick on with that with that habit that you're trying to develop and start small. If you're trying to, you know, change everything, you're not going to stick with it. So so start small. I I recently read a book this uh, summer. I think it's called Atomic Habits. And I don't I don't remember the the author, but I, I think it was called Atomic Habits. And in there what the author said was if there's any habit that you want to develop, but you're having a hard time doing it, then do the least amount possible. And so I'll give you an example. I used to be really bad at being consistent with flossing my teeth, just really bad with it. And, uh, you know, once my hygienist said, you know, just once a day, it doesn't matter when, just once a day, um, I was like, okay, well, how how am I going to do this? So I decided for me, the easiest way to do this would be first thing in the morning, you know, like I have the energy to do it. And in this book, the example would be commit to flossing one tooth. That's it. The least amount possible. And so for my example, commit to flossing one tooth. Because what happens is the hardest part about doing anything is getting started. So if you commit to just, you know, the least amount possible, and in this case, you know, commit to flossing one tooth, chances are once you floss that one tooth, you're going to do the whole mouth <laughs> right agreed yeah because once you kind of pull out the floss and do the one totally like, oh, I might as well do the others totally so for anyone trying to develop a habit you know start small start with one thing at a time and do the least amount possible and you know over time you'll develop that habit and then you can add something else no oh, that's great I agree I think that's really true I read a, a book kind of similar to that it was um, start. I think it's called Start with Why by Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. and he talks about attaching like an intrinsic value to the things that you're trying to do to help find your why. So, I feel like that would kind of follow a similar principle. Totally. Um, so we did talk about how resilience um, in the intro is kind of essentially our bounce back ability. 
So when we think of adversity, I think it's often easy to assume. We always assume like major life events, but adversity can be anything that's situational or even something daily, which you've mentioned before. I'm going to floss my teeth once a day. Mm -hmm. So have you had any sort of like, or can you describe any defining moment in your career where you overcame adversity? And did you use some sort of mental tools or skills um, I guess, what sort of mental tools or skills did you utilize during that time? Yep. Um, I I actually will say that I was lucky enough to have something happen early on in my career, and, and I'll talk about why I think it, I was lucky enough later. But I had graduated university, and I started the workforce right away at a at a public accounting firm. And at that time, in order for you to get your your CA designation, I had to go through the CASB program and then write the UFI. So I think it's the CFI for for students today. And you know, you you worked so hard throughout the year to do that. And I I remember the summer. I remember you know having my routine of going to the library to study. And during the exam, I must have been burnt out. Or, or something. I, I remember being burnt out in the middle of the exam. And sure enough, I failed. I failed the exam. And for most people who fail something, it's not so public, <laughs> you right. know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the UFI and for students today, the CFI, it's an exam where your, your family knows, your friends know your firm knows or you know your your team at work knows everybody knows that you're working so hard for this exam that you need to pass to progress into your career and at the time you know i was so embarrassed because everybody knew that i failed and i was completely devastated that i i didn't do it you know i i thought i was going to do it everyone around me passed and and it was like, I felt like I was the only one who didn't. And, you know, I, at the time, um, as bad as I felt, I also knew that I could do it. It, it was a faith that I had in, in my own abilities. And I naturally just believe that everything that happens, happens for a reason. So I just need to figure out what I need to learn from that situation. And... So I guess the, in terms of mental tools, the first thing is just having a belief in yourself and making steps towards, you know, um, trying to achieve whatever, whatever it is you want to achieve. So for me, I, in my, you know, devastation, I, I still thought to myself, okay, I know I'm going to write again. I know I can pass, but what's the best next step I can take today? For me to do that. And at that time for me, it was enrolling in a UFI prep course. So I did that immediately. And and then, you know, fast forward to the summer while studying, I I, I started using the, the tips that the course told me, but naturally my my brain kicked in and, and I had all these, you know, memories of failing. And naturally I started feeling all this like doubt coming mm-hmm. up and and having the fear that, you know, I was going to go through this whole summer studying all over again, writing the exam and then failing again. And 
it was every, like every time that I did that, I had to stop myself and I had to say, nope, I'm not focusing on that. I am just focusing that I will pass. That's it. There's no other option. This is going to happen. And I don't care if my, if my brain wants to give me doubt, it's not happening. And I would actually visualize on a daily basis, you know, opening up my laptop, signing in with my credentials to see if I had passed and then, you know, scrolling across and seeing beside my, my um, ID, competency achieved. And I did that every day. I would just visualize that this was going to happen. And sure enough, the day the results came out, I did the exact same thing that I visualized every day. And it did say competency achieved. And so, you know, like in terms of mental tools or skills, like I, I never actually thought about what I was doing. But looking back, you know, I, I think the start is, you know, having that faith in yourself um, and working on your mindset every time doubt does creep in. And then doing the work, you know, <laughs> like you, uh, I think Jim Carrey, uh, he has a funny quote, which I, I saw him say on Oprah once, and it was, visualization works, but you can't just visualize and then go eat a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so put in the work. You, you got to do that. And um, at the end of the day, you just understanding that failure is not the end. It's just a part of the journey towards success. And once you reframe that, I think it's a lot easier to work through um, any adversity. So going back to, you know, saying I feel like I was lucky enough to encounter this so early on in my career. I, I say that because I think it's helped me at such an early age to use these skills for when other things happen later down the road. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And it's actually funny that you did mention just having, it's important to have that belief in yourself because I think it is really difficult to talk about building resilience or just resilience in general without kind of mentioning self-efficacy, which is, of course, the belief in our ability to succeed in a particular situation or task or goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did want to ask you, um, why do you believe it's important to set goals? And how has goal setting contributed to both your short and your long-term success? I'm actually going to answer this with a a story. Great. So... Last year, the end of last year, my husband and I were chatting and uh, he actually, he asked me a really thought-provoking question. And that was, who do we know who's had the most change in the last 10 years? Because, you know, we're, we're coming up to 2020, it's a whole new decade. So mm. he had asked this question and, uh, you know, naturally, as, as we're chatting about this, you start thinking about yourself and we're like, oh what did we do in the last 10 years? How far have we come? What have we accomplished, you know? So we had had these conversations with a lot of different people and I, I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but there was someone close to us who, when we had had this conversation, this person just went silent. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew this person was, you know, pondering the last 10 years of their life. And the reason they went silent was because they had realized they were in the exact same position in their life 
from 10 years ago to today. And it shook them to their core because they realized they had not grown. Mm-hmm. Like nothing had happened in their life, right? So I I say this story because, you know, goals are, are important because they they push you. They push you towards, you know, trying to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. But to take a step back, it's not just a matter of, you know, creating goals. You You have to take a bigger picture of your life as a whole. What is it that you want out of your life first and foremost, right? And then from there, trying to create goals to move you towards that direction. So I, I think that, you know, having goals is great once you have an idea of the path that you want to take, because it's those steps that will eventually get you there. So like, I guess in, in terms of our lives, I got the designation that I wanted. I did another designation after that. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of financial uh, goals, we we were able to buy our, our home, buy cars. Um, we were able to, uh, you know, plan out when we want to have kids. And, you know, like we had to have that plan in place and then do the work towards achieving those goals. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. So earlier you mentioned um, when we were talking a little bit about adversity, you know, not passing the CFI the first go around and how your friends and your family knew about it. How have your family and your friends contributed to your ability to be resilient? Can you describe uh, the importance of having a supportive network? Yeah, um, I, I obviously leverage them a lot during, you know, that time for sure. And, you know, having good... Uh, friends and family around you are is so important for so many aspects like it wasn't just um you know when I failed the UFI it it was when you know my dad passed away six years ago it was uh when I was trying to figure out where I wanted to take my career you know and and not knowing what to do and having those conversations with friends uh I think having a supportive network is more important than people actually realized and maybe maybe the pandemic has actually forced us to realize how important it is for us to have these social connections i actually have a family friend who is a, a doctor and specifically works with geriatric patients so the elderly and i'd asked him a question because you know he works with old people and he yeah. sees what their lives are like and i had asked you know what's the one thing the number one thing that we can do to uh, live a long, happy, healthy life. And I totally expected him to say something like, oh, eat right, exercise, you know, like just the, the, the natural, common yeah, the common things. <laughs> and uh, he didn't say anything like that. In, in fact, he, um, he didn't even have to think for his answer. His answer was have friends. And I kind of just looked at him and I was like, what? <laughs> that is not what I expected you to say. And, and then he started describing, like, you know, there's so many benefits of having friends and, like, a supportive network. I mean, for one, and, uh, you know, he's talking more so about geriatric patients because they're, they're older. But he said, you know, having friends gets you physically active. It gets you out of the house, you know, gets you moving. You might go for walks. You might go for picnics. You might have sports, um, like, games with them. Uh, on the emotional side, they're, they're there for you during the tough times because you're you're able to talk to them 
and, you know, get advice from them or really just have someone listen to you. And, you know, friends also, they keep you mentally stimulated, mm-hmm. right? Like I, right now, God knows we've been debating so much about the U.S. election, right? Yeah. And and not only that, but talking about the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic and, you know, God knows like social media, the effects of social media on kids today. And like mm-hmm. having these conversations with friends keeps you mentally stimulated, right? So having that supportive network um, has so many benefits to you. And I think the other thing is when you don't have anyone and you're suffering through something, you naturally feel like you're alone. You naturally feel like people won't understand what you're going through. And I I actually realized this fairly recently. Um, I've been going through a, a process to uh, work on my mindset. And uh, I used to actually write a lot of gratitude notes in my in my phone. Um, but I, I don't take the LRT anymore. So right. um, I never actually developed the habit of, you know, just sitting down and like writing out my my um, thoughts about gratitude. And so I, I actually created a gratitude journal. And I put it up on Amazon. And I, I put it up for myself. Because I, I just wanted the book. Mm-hmm. And my husband kept saying, how come you haven't told anyone? And I didn't want to. I I was too scared. I, I didn't know what people were going to say. I didn't know if they were going to think this was lame. I I, I don't even know what I thought. I, I just didn't want to tell people. It's very vulnerable. Very, very much so. And and then I finally did. I was like, okay, well, do you know what? I'll, I'll tell people and I'll just, I'll tell them why, you know? And it was just letting people know that I naturally um, am self-critical and I wanted to work through that. And so I created this. And, you know, I I didn't necessarily think that people would understand. And it I couldn't have been more wrong. It It was so crazy to see the type of responses that I got. I had people, I kid you not, people I haven't talked to in about 18 years reach out to me, telling me how they felt, how negative they felt about like the world, how they are also self-critical, how they were also trying to figure out how to not be so um, hard on themselves. And it, it just, it shocked me to know that, you know, something that I really did not want to tell people um, out of fear that people wouldn't understand. Um people actually did understand because mm-hmm. everybody's going through the same stuff. And so if you if you don't have that social network, you you just fall into this idea that people won't understand and you're alone in your suffering. But really that's not the case. So it, it is ridiculously important to have a social network. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's really special. And I think ultimately when you're vulnerable it allows people to be vulnerable with you and I think exactly exactly yeah right well I do want to shift gears just a little bit um so obviously we've mentioned that this is a very tough time for a lot of Canadians um we're really feeling the effects of COVID-19 um one thing that I researched before coming here is that MNP recently put out actually this month put out a consumer debt index 
And some of the findings were quite shocking, but one of the things that stood out to me was that 46% of Canadians said they're worried or concerned about their level of debt. Um, So I did want to talk a little bit about developing financial resilience. Um, So do you have any, I guess, how have you first developed financial resilience and what are some of the financial rules that you live by? Yeah, um, I I think it's interesting that you do bring up, you know, the effects of the pandemic and, you know, how it's been affecting everyone. I, I've also really been thinking about this and it's made me realize that the pandemic has really shed light on how everybody deals with their finances, whether you're wealthy or you're not. It, it really has affected everybody. And what it made me realize was, you know, there there's two aspects to being financially resilient. There's um, having cash, you know, being able to pay your day-to-day um, expenses like food and um, your bills and things like that. And then there's also assets, which are things like, you know, your car, your, your house, um, you know, the big things that if you need to sell, you could sell, but it would take some time. You know, you can't quickly convert that to to cash. And there's such a fine balance between the two. And they're like right now with the pandemic, we have been uh, very fortunate. And I think that's because of the way that I deal with our finances. Um, I would say the first rule that I have for ourselves is we live under our means. So we, we've been living in the house that we're in for the past five years. And, you know, when I was first looking at homes to, to buy, the banks were giving like money based on the situation at that time. And at that time, I, I made the deliberate decision to not use that whole mortgage. (laughs) You know, I, I bought a house that we needed that worked for us, but it wasn't the, the most that we could have spent by any means because in my head I kept thinking okay well that's great for the situation we're in right now but what if I decide to have kids and decide to not go back to work Mm -hmm. what if somebody does lose their job what if the you know interest rates go up and now all of a sudden we can't afford it because the rate went up you know um I I made that deliberate decision to not um use the full amount that we were able to get Another rule that I also live by is if there's anything that I want but don't have the cash to like spend it on, I will not get it. So I'll I'll give you a story. I was at uh I was at work and uh a bank had come at lunchtime to pitch their their new offering which I think was some type of line of credit or something. And I kid you not, they were talking to a group of accountants telling us, you know, if you've ever wanted to go on that vacation but couldn't afford it, well, now you can because now you have this line of credit. And I just, oh I'm, my. I'm literally looking at them like, do you realize you're talking to a group of accountants? Do you realize you're literally marketing to people to use debt to fulfill their dreams and desires I was I was shocked I couldn't believe it and so anyways I that's my rule of thumb you know if I don't have the cash in the bank 
I can't afford it. <laughs> Plain and simple, right? Like I, I will always pay my credit cards off in full. I, I will never leave anything on there because I don't agree with paying interest, you know. Yeah. Unless there's something like a house or or maybe even a car or something. But uh, to me, if you're going to use debt, use it because you have some type of investment. Don't use it because you're trying to be a consumer. You know, like it's it's that concept's just crazy to me. So those are the two things, you know, like live under your means and if you don't have the cash, you can't afford it. Yeah, no, those are really great tips. And I think sometimes often overlooked. And I think sometimes too, that's why marketing can be so toxic, I think, because they really do play on some of those insecurities that totally. we have as consumers. But I mean, that's a topic for a I whole know. other It podcast. totally is, yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that I kind of um, was looking at in this report that they mentioned is that Generation Z or Z, um, of course, is the youngest generation currently in the workforce, and they have been hit the hardest by the pandemic in general. Um, but 70% of Gen Zs are about $200 away from insolvency. So I was wondering, you mentioned, you know, you've been able to buy a house and purchase cars and stuff. Do you have any advice for post-secondary students who are looking to build their financial stability? Do you have any like websites or apps you can recommend that they can start using to budget? Totally, totally. And do you want I, I would say that this is for everyone, not just post-secondary students, You'd be surprised how many people don't actually know their finances. And uh, so first and foremost, if you've never heard this phrase, I I would say memorize it. And that is what gets measured gets managed. That is so important. Not, not just with financials, but with like everything. Counting calories, you know, counting your dollars, like everything. So what I would say is... You know, this is a practice I actually started when I was in second, maybe third year university. And that was, I started tracking every single dollar that I spent. And I would do this, I am, you know, back then I would actually keep receipts. Um, But now, like with uh, online banking, it's a lot easier to track your expenses. You can just download um, through a CVS file into Excel uh, all your transactions for, you know, the year if you really want to. And I would say, you know, track your expenses first and categorize them into buckets. So things like, um, you know, eating out or, you know, your mortgage or whatever, whatever are the big buckets for your personal situation and start analyzing the numbers because that's when you realize your spending habits and you'll be able to identify when you have bad spending habits. So for example, something that I have a really hard time with is eating out. I just, I do. It's really bad. (laughs) I try every year and it's, it's something that I don't know if I will ever get over, (laughs) but you know, being able to see the, the data helps you to make those decisions in terms of how to be better, right? So, for example, if you go to work and you start realizing that at 3 o'clock every day you buy a snack, you know, you're, you're going to be spending a lot over the course of the year. So you're, you're not going to be realizing that until you see the numbers in place. But once you start tracking it, once you start categorizing it, you can now make better decisions like, hey, 
let me pack some snacks for work, you know? Um, so that's one easy way to do it, you know, downloading your transactions through Excel, categorizing them, analyzing the results. Um, if you don't want to do that, there actually are programs out there that you can um, connect your your different, um, you know, credit cards and um, like bank accounts too, and, and it'll actually aggregate the information for you. So uh, I think there's like in Canada, there is mint.com, um, personalcapital.com, uh, moneypatrol.com, and I think there's a few more that you could utilize. But the, these are really easy. You know, you, you make an account, you um, tie everything in, and then it just pulls everything together so that you can now analyze your own information. But um, again, what gets measured gets managed. So if you're not tracking this stuff, you're not going to know yeah. how to be better, right? No, that's great. So yes, if people don't remember anything else from this yeah. <laughs> this discussion, what gets measured gets managed. Um, so speaking of that, um, that seems to be a mantra. So this is kind of a loaded question, but do you have, um, what are some of the greatest life lessons you've learned so far? Besides what gets measured, gets managed. <laughs> um, there's probably so many that we could have a whole podcast like <laughs> just that on idea. that, right? If I were to narrow it down, this is something that, is um, something I'm currently working on. And that is that your mindset is everything. You know, it's actually the reason why I made the gratitude journal, really, yeah. right? Um, what I've come to realize is that, you know, your your thoughts, they affect your your emotions. And then your emotions affect your behaviors. And your behaviors are really just the actions you take in life. So if there is, you know, something that you want to achieve and you haven't been able to, I feel like people need to start really looking at how they think. Because more often than not, most people don't. We, we all kind of work on autopilot and we let um, our subconscious minds actually drive how we behave and... Uh, I, I learned this early on. I, I read a book uh, by Dr. Phil called Self Matters. And in there, he talks about uh, 10 defining moments. And these are defining moments that usually happen when, when you're younger, when you're a kid. And they're so vivid in your memory that when situations arise that are very similar to what had happened when you were a kid, you actually behave the same way as you behaved when you were a child hmm. without actually realizing it. So if you um, are not conscious about, you know, the thoughts that are running through your mind, you might not be able to achieve the things that you want to achieve because of this um, unconscious tape that's going on in the background. So, so that's a big thing for me um, right now is just trying to be cognizant of the thoughts that go through my head and changing any negative thoughts that I might have. Um, and then I guess the next one, it's not necessarily a life lesson. It's just something that I live by personally. And, um, and that would be, you know, everyone has a story you know nothing about. So you should try to understand before trying to be understood. And it's just something that 
I, I feel like it's so important today because, uh, I mean, you look at social media, you see what people post up and you think that that's reality and, and that's not reality. Right. You know, they're, they're posting up the best images of their life, but that's, that's not the real story. And we don't know what that story is, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. That's great. I, I feel like that's a really natural place to end things. I'll definitely need to get your reading list suggestions <laughs> because I feel like you've read a lot of books that I would personally be interested in. Um, this, I just have one final question for you. Um, okay. Lending a little bit on a happy note. Um, where is the first place you plan to travel once it's safe to do so? Oh. <laughs> um, I know exactly where I would go. And it is such a cliche answer. <laughs> and I will say that when we go, I will say it's for my kids. I like it. But in reality, it's completely for myself. And that is Disneyland. Love it. <laughs> I am going to Disneyland. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Well, Deepa, thank you so much for joining me today to share your insights. It's really been such a great conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth podcast. This episode featured Deepa Masuria, CPA, CA, CVB. Don't forget to subscribe to the Straight from the CPA's Mouth mailing list for exclusive content. As always, if you have ideas for future episodes or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the HESHI CPA Knowledge Center. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the HESHI CPA Knowledge Center and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.